Okay, guys, today we are uh, we finished 1 Peter last week, and so uh, for the next few weeks we're going to have some, oh, I guess you could say some uh, just isolated type sermons, um, and then my plans are here in the next, at some point in the next few weeks, we're going to go through the book of Jonah together, uh, but until then we're going to have a few separate sermons that stand on their own. Um, Brother Ronnie's going to be here in a couple weeks to preach. So and then uh, I believe sometime after that we will look at the book of Jonah together. But today we're going to be in Galatians chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 1. Really one of my favorite passages uh, in Galatians 1 verse 4 that I I have found myself going to on a fairly regular basis when I preach outdoors because it's just such a glorious truth that we have been rescued. Have we not? We've been rescued. We have a rescuer. And so as I was thinking really late into the week of what to preach, this text just jumped in my mind and thought I'd like to go through it together. Hopefully you guys can be encouraged, uh, reminded of the simple truth that you and I, if you know Christ today, that we have been rescued. And uh, so that's what we will look at today. Uh, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we will get started. Heavenly Father, we thank You once again for who You are, Lord. We thank You, Lord, that Your, uh, your, your throne is open to Your children. That the Holy of Holies is now accessible for us because of Christ's blood. And we thank You for that, Lord. So we come to You freely today. We come to You boldly because of our Rescuer. Because of His death and His burial and resurrection, Father. We, we come to You today and we ask You to minister to us today, Lord. I ask You to help me to proclaim Your Word clearly today. Um, ask Your Holy Spirit to, to apply the Word to our hearts. That we will not just hear it in our heads and our minds, but it will go to our hearts and that we will be not only quick to obey, Lord, but uh, delighted to obey Your Word. Father, we love You. We thank You in Christ's name. Amen. Can I have you stand one more time? Uh, we, we definitely like to honor God's Word as it's read. We're looking at verse 4. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. So I will, as we go through it, we will go quickly through some of the other verses and, and hone in on verse 4 today, okay? Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. <clears throat> Paul says this, or the word says this, Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, so that he might rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. You guys can be seated. Now I know uh, many of your Bibles may say uh, this word rescue, it may say deliver. So obviously it means the exact same thing. I just really like the, the way the NAS has it worded, rescue. I love, that, I love that phrase, rescue. So the title of the message is Christ, our rescuer. So hopefully, by God's grace today, guys, that you as, um, as I have been encouraged and looking at this text, that you guys will, will, will be encouraged and will have a, um, just a deeper appreciation for what Christ has done for us. And I'm sure all of you have had the picture, or have, have seen the picture, you can probably even see it in your mind, of the firefighter coming out of the house with a little child in his arms, and the picture of the house burning in the back, and we think, that man rescued that baby. And, and that's what the... And that's what the fire department is, is known as, right? The fire and rescue. And um, I'm excited to have my oldest son as a, as a firefighter. And, and the stories that he already has about what those guys go through. But that's what it is. When we think of somebody rescuing, that's what I think. You think of a man running into a burning building and rescuing a small child or rescuing anybody. Um, I'm sure all of you, or we've all been involved maybe in being rescued at some point in your life. Maybe you've had the privilege of being a rescuer. Maybe you've rescued somebody from some kind of danger. 
uh, or I think we've all witnessed it in some way, uh, somebody being rescued. I have, a, I have a personal story real quickly uh, in a way that I was rescued from death when I was 13 years old. And uh, after basketball practice, I was craving pizza, craving Mazio's pizza. I had a dream about it the night before. That makes it even weirder. And so it was my mom, me and my brother, just us three. And so it was after basketball practice, about 5 o'clock in the middle of the week. So Mazio's was not crowded. It was just us and a uh, table of teenage girls beside us. And that pizza was really good, so I got to eating it too fast and started to choke. And st- I mean really choke. Not, I could not make a noise. Um, it, it was going on. Nobody knew what to do. It was just my mom, a few workers there, some high school age girls, and people were in tears. They were screaming. I could not breathe, so I knew uh, I was going to perish. And lo and behold, that I know now by the providence of God, a uh, police officer walked in, and this was after probably two minutes. And uh, and you know afterwards, my mom said I was I'd lost all my color. Anyway, he came up and grabbed me. I didn't know what he was doing, and squeezed me and did the Heimlich and a piece of cheese about that long. It was just stuck in my throat. That man rescued me, and I'm sure we thanked him that day. I'm sure my mom thanked him. But uh, I, I've thought over the last few years that I would love to find that man and and. And thank Him. Because He rescued me from death. Literally. Moments away from death. But let's look at it. Before we go to Galatians, turn in your Bibles to uh, Luke chapter 8. We will look at a uh, biblical illustration of a man being rescued. We will look at it now. We'll come back to it a little later. But, but in Luke chapter 8, I'm going to read verses 26 through 39, just real quickly. And it's about the, uh, the story of the, the man... The, the demoniac, you guys remember, who Christ... We're not going to see the word rescue, but that's what happened in this text. Luke eight twenty six through 39 Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when he came out into the land, he was met by a man from the city who was possessed with demons and who had not put on any clothing for a long time and was not living in a house but in the tombs. Seeing Jesus... He cried out and fell before him and said in a loud voice, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For it had seized him many times, and he was bound with chains and shackles and kept under guard. And yet he would break his bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion. For many demons had entered him. They were imploring him not to command them to go away into the abyss. Now there was a herd of many swine feeding there on the mountain, and the demons implored him to, to permit them to enter the swine, and he gave them permission. And the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they ran away and reported it in the city and out in the country. The people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting down at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they became frightened. Those who had seen it reported to them how the man who was demon-possessed had been made well. And all the people of the country of the Gerasenes and the surrounding district asked him to leave them. For they were gripped with great fear, and he got into a boat and returned. But the man from whom the demons had gone out was begging him that he might accompany him. But he sent him, sent him away saying, Return to your house and describe what great things God has done for you. So he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. Now again, we don't see the word rescued in here. But no doubt this, res- this man was rescued. As we go through this text today, and we will come back and visit these last two verses here towards the end of the message. But no doubt this man was rescued, right? He was rescued from demon possession. And ultimately he was rescued like any person who Christ saves by His grace. He was rescued from the wrath of God in hell. Because even though we may not be possessed by demons... When Christ rescues us, what does He do? He rescues us 
out of the domain of darkness. The Bible says we are children of the devil until God adopts us into His family. So that's a, that's a beautiful story of a man that really happened. Okay, If you're in Christ, we'll get to meet that man someday and, um, and hear more about this man became a preacher, right? He was proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. But over in Galatians chapter 1, we see Paul, real quickly, we're not going through the book, so we're not going to spend much time, but just a little bit about the context. Paul was writing to these churches in the regions of Galatia. He had helped plant many of these churches in his missionary journeys. And what he was doing, he was writing in this letter to protect and to combat, I guess you could say, to protect these Galatians from false teachers called Judaizers who were coming into these churches and basically teaching these uh, Gentile Christians that, uh, that yes, believing in Jesus is good, you need to believe in Christ, believe that He died, that He rose again, but you must be circumcised. So you must keep parts of the ceremonial law of Moses to be saved, which we know is distorting the Gospel, adding works to the Gospel. So he was doing that, and he was also defending his apostleship. These false teachers, um, if we were going through the letter, obviously we'd look at it closer, but they were stating that he was inferior to the other apostles. And so you can see that even in verse 1 that we'll look at here in a moment, um, of, of Paul defending his apostleship. But this is a beautiful letter that really is just, it's a defense of the gospel. And so I'll say this, guys, if you guys are ever dealing with any uh, false cults, right, that teach a works righteousness, the book of Galatians is going is to combat all of that. Every false, uh, false church that teaches a works righteousness, go to the book of Galatians. That's what that, that's one of the, one of the reasons uh, that Paul penned that letter inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's for the church throughout the ages to do to defend against false gospels. So in verse 1, real quickly, we see it says, Paul, an apostle not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised Him from the dead. You can see that's what he's doing from the very beginning. He is defending his authority as an apostle. He wasn't sent by man like some of these false teachers were accusing him. No, he was, he, he was sent by the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father. He's not a false apostle and he, does not a preach, and he does not preach a false gospel. Look down in verse 11. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. Right? It's not according to man. He was commissioned by Jesus Christ. And of course we know in verse 7, or in verse 6 and 7, he says, I'm amazed that you're so quickly deserting Him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. Let me ask you this. Is there really a different gospel? No, he says right in the next verse. Which is really not another. Only there are some who are, dis- who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel. There's only one gospel, guys. And that's the person of Christ, His person and His work. Christ being fully God, fully man. Right? died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, was buried, and on the third day rose again. That's the heart of the Gospel. And so when, when men, men or women come along and they pervert it, okay, and that's what they're doing, they're perverting it. They're making it a false Gospel which doesn't save. So this is not man's Gospel. Remember this, guys. There's only one Gospel. It's accomplished. It's finished. And so any man-made Gospel... They're going to distort one of two things, or usually both of these things. They're going to distort the nature of the gospel. They're going to add works to it, and they're going to distort, distort who Christ is. Okay, and those are all man-made. So every every false religion that's come down through the ages, and there's thousands of them, are man-made. But Paul says Christ has commissioned me, and I preach His gospel. Acts nine fifteen, Jesus. This is, this is uh, part of his conversion story when, when Christ saved Saul of Tarsus and Jesus said, He is a chosen instrument of mine. So we just see more into this background that, that he says he's a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name 
before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. It was Christ who saved Paul and it was Christ who commissioned him to preach the gospel and to be an apostle. And in verse 1 it says, who raised him from the dead. He was commissioned, he was sent by Christ and by God the Father who raised him from the dead. You don't even have to get past the first verse and what's he already doing? Emphasizing the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I could could not just pass that by. And I I think he's even maybe making a point that not only did Christ send me, but it was the resurrected Christ. The exalted Christ is the one who commissioned me. Paul's already proclaiming the resurrection and I just want to remind you of that in your gospel proclamation. Guys, so many times, what do we do? Christ died for your sins. Folks, don't forget the most important part. That Christ defeated death. He defeated death. Everybody out there is a slave to the fear of death whether they realize it or not. And we need to communicate people, not only did He die, but He rose again. He has victory. Your biggest enemy, death, has been defeated. And so, you can defeat death if you are found in Christ. And so the resurrection, guys, again, before we move on, the resurrection is where the Father... It's so important not to forget the resurrection. That is where the Father publicly declared that Jesus was the Son of God in power. Romans chapter 1 tells us that. And so, we see, again, the context. Paul's defending his message and his apostolic authority. He says, And all the brethren who are with me to the churches in Galatia. Verse 3, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Speak about that grace a little bit and that peace. Right? We talked about grace last week. So he says, Grace to you and peace it's obviously grace first, right? Before we ever have peace with God or the peace of God, it's all because of the grace of God in sending His Son. And so it's because of God's grace that we have peace with God or the peace of God. A little bit about that peace real quickly before we move to verse 4 and really get into our sermon. Jesus said in John fourteen twenty seven, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. And then Paul speaks about this peace in Philippians 4 7. <clears throat> the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. This peace that Christ gives his people is possible because of what He did at the cross for us. What we're going to talk about today. In rescuing us. Part of that rescuing, guys, it's not just rescuing from eternal death. That's the main part, right? But it's, it's being worked out in this life. And part of it is this peace He gives us. All because of the cross. And this is what this peace is, guys. Think of the peace that we have. This, this peace that, that Christ says that He leaves with us. This peace that Paul says surpasses all comprehension. It's not the peace... Think of it like this. It's not the peace of a perfectly calm and sunny day or a perfectly calm and sunny life where everything's just always... you got no problems. You're in perfect health. No trials. That's not the peace he's talking about. No, it's rather, think of it like this, the the cleft of the rock where the Lord hides His children during the storm. That's the peace that God gives us. The peace that when you're going through that difficult trial, which it just seems like it's one after another, that it will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Keeping our minds fixed on Him. Again, it's like He he hides us right under His wings in the cleft of the rock while the storms rage around us. That's the peace that He gives us. So let's look at verse 4. Our main text this morning, or this afternoon. I'm going to leave you with this 
With this uh, main point today, as we go through this verse here, we'll look at verse 5 real quickly as well. But verse 4, we're going to talk about our rescuer. And keep this thought in your mind. As those who have been rescued by Christ, we are now members of His rescue team. Okay? As those who have been rescued by Christ, we are now members of His rescue team. And so we're going to have four points today. Three of them in verse 4 and one in verse 5. The first one is the cost of His rescue. The second one will be the result of His rescue. The third one, the plan of His rescue. And and I will repeat these again. And the last one, our our response to His rescue. So verse 4, point number 1, the cost of His rescue. Or like I said, your Bible may say, deliver. Verse 4. The Lord Jesus Christ who gave Himself for our sins that He might rescue us. So the cost of His rescue. That first phrase, who gave Himself. Who gave Himself for our sins. We can see the cost immediately. The giving of Himself. Right? Christ upon the cross. That's what it took to rescue us. The Son of God came into this earth and giving Himself up for our sins. We can hear this language in other places. Ephesians 5.25, just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Titus 2.14, Christ Jesus who gave Himself for us to redeem To redeem us from every lawless deed. Do you hear the language? He gave Himself. The Apostle John in his letter, or in his Gospel, describes it as Christ saying, no man takes my life, but I give it up of my own accord. When it comes down to it, guys, that's what happened. No one took His life from Him. He said, I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to raise it up again. He gave Himself. And this language, this language means that He gave Himself freely to rescue you from the jaws of hell. He gave Himself freely. He gave Himself voluntarily. And remember guys, He knew what was coming. He knew what He was going to endure. Remember we discussed that last week before we took the Lord's Supper? He knew what was coming in a matter of hours. He knew not only the suffering from sinful men, the beatings, the floggings. He knew the the wrath that was coming from His Father upon that cross. He knew it. And what does it say? He gave Himself up. It was freely, voluntarily. That's love, guys. That is love. That's the love of Christ. By this we know love, that He laid down His life for us. And it says, He gave Himself for our sins. For our sins. The reason, that this, in other words, this is the reason He gave Him freely. To be our substitute, right? To be in that place on God's altar, the cross, and to be slain. And to suffer the wrath of God in our place so that we don't have to. For our sins. To pay the penalty that we deserve to pay that stood against us. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, right? By becoming a curse for us. So we just need to remember that, guys. He he gave Himself for our sins. He didn't give Himself freely to give us happiness in this life, but righteousness, right? He didn't die on that cross and suffer the wrath of God so that you could have health and wealth. No, so that you could have righteousness and stand on that day. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. The righteousness of Christ. So we see first of all the cost of His rescue. He gave His very life. Secondly, we see the result of His rescue. The result of His rescue is that 
He's going to rescue us from this present evil age. I struggle coming up with a word, but the result is that He rescues us from this present evil age. And before we talk about that present evil age, let's look at that word rescue for just a moment. What does it mean to be rescued? What does it mean to be rescued? I mean, I think we all have the idea, but, but, but think about it, guys. To be rescued just simply means that we or anybody else are in great danger. There's danger. We're in, we're in danger of death and are unable to rescue ourselves. So we must depend on a rescuer. If somebody doesn't rescue us, we will perish. If that police officer had not walked in, I was moments away from perishing. Physically dying. And if Christ had not gave Himself up for us, we would all perish under the wrath of God. And God would do that which is just. Because that's what our sin deserves. So obviously, to be rescued just simply means we're dependent upon somebody else. We won't look at many. There's several, but just a couple. You don't have to turn there, but in Acts chapter 7, we see a couple different times this word rescue is used. Or like I said, your, word, your Bible may say deliver. Acts 7 verse 10. Verse 9 and 10. This is uh, speaking about Joseph when his brothers sold him into slavery. The patriarchs became, this is his brothers, the patriarchs became jealous of Joseph and sold him into Egypt, yet God was with him and rescued him from all his afflictions and granted him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh king of Egypt, and he made him governor over Egypt and all his household. Obviously, if you read the the story, he was rescued by different means, different people, but it was God all along who rescued Joseph, who was with him. In Acts 7 verse 34, this is talking about Moses at the burning bush. Verse 33 and 34, But the Lord said to him, Moses, take off the sandals from your feet for the the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He says, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt and have heard their groans and I have come down to rescue them. Come now and I will send you to Egypt. Obviously, he used Moses and Aaron to accomplish that, but it was God rescuing His people. And what a picture, guys. If you want to know what, a, what that picture is, the the Exodus, it's a picture of Christ rescuing us from bondage. William Hendrickson says in his, in his commentary, he says this, this is a, uh, a, a story, illustration, but I do give him credits out of his commentary. He says this, one is reminded of a swimmer who plunges into the fast-moving current in order to rescue the child that has fallen into the stream and is about to be pitched over the cliff of the waterfall to its death. So we all got that in our minds. In the act of seizing the youngster and hurling him onto the side where loving arms reached out to catch him, he himself is swept over the precipice to his death. So we see the man rescuing the child, giving up his life in doing so. Such a great illustration. Of, of a rescue. But, but he goes on to say, all comparisons fall short. However, since in the case of Christ, the sacrifice was great beyond all comprehension, and the beneficiaries, right, us, were thoroughly unworthy of such love. That's the difference. Christ came to rescue us. Christ gave Himself freely, voluntarily on the cross for His enemies. Those who despised Him. For the crowd that was there that day, mocking. That's a picture of humanity. That's the difference, guys. There is no comparison. There is no comparison to the love of Jesus Christ. The love of the cross where mankind in his arrogance and his enmity against God would have ran headlong into hell if God had not acted. That's love. That's true rescue. 
And He says to rescue us from what? Who gave Himself for our sins so that He might rescue us from this present evil age. What does it mean to be rescued from this present evil age? It means all of this. To be rescued from the wrath of God. To be rescued from the curse of the law. But also from the slavery of sin. Right? In this life. The power of sin. The slavery of sin. The lusts of the flesh. The lusts of this world. All of the corruptions in this world. And you could just continue to fill in the blank. He rescues us from all of that. Because what this language is, this rescuing, this delivering, it's, it's salvation. That's what it means to be saved, to be delivered from sin, to be rescued from sin. And so the point is, we've been rescued and are being rescued, right? You've heard that language in the Bible. We have been saved, but we are being saved, right? We've been saved, we've been justified, declared righteous before God, but we're also being saved in the sense that we're being sanctified throughout this life. That's all this means. We have been rescued and we are being rescued. It's progressive. It's, it's, it's the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6.13. Guys, listen to this. And do not lead us into temptation. This is how He taught us to pray. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us, or you could substitute that word, rescue, rescue us from evil. In other words, we're asking God to finish the work not, not the actual atonement. We know that the debt for sin has been paid in full, right? It is finished. But we're asking God to finish the work that Christ began to do on His cross. In other words, in our daily lives, right? Deliver us from sin. We hate sin. We've been born again and we struggle with this thing called sin and evil. And so we continually go to the throne. That's all part of this being rescued from this present evil age. In other words, it affects this life here, not just eternity. So He came and He, he gave Himself up for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age that we live in today. We are brought out of darkness into the light. Right? The initial stage of Him rescuing us. It says we are delivered out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son. That's something that God does when He saves a person. But then what happens? Then we, we have continual, continual increased victory over sin in our lives. Sanctification. J.B. Lightfoot says this, the Gospel is a rescue. The Gospel is a rescue. An emancipation or a liberation from a state of bondage. We were in bondage to sin. Sin was our Pharaoh. We were in bondage to sin. In slavery to sin. And Christ was our Moses. He came, the, right? The song we sang. The better Moses. He came and He set us free from bondage. Not bondage from some king, but bondage from sin. Amen? And so thirdly, we're going to see the plan of His rescue. The plan of His rescue. We saw the cost of His rescue, the result of His rescue, and now the plan of His rescue. According to the will of God, or to the, to the will of our God and Father. The plan of His rescue. This was not a last minute decision, right? This was not God deciding at the last minute plan B or plan C, not even plan A, there was one plan. In other words, God is not a mutable God, right? A changeable God who changes His mind and something surprises Him and He's got to change His mind. He is immutable. The Lord our God does not change. Listen to Acts chapter 2, verse 23. Peter preaching to the Jews. He said, this man, Jesus Christ, Delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. There we have it, guys. The gospel, the cross, was predetermined. That means before the foundation of the world. It says this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, 
you, speaking to the Jews, nailed to a cross by the hands of the Romans, godless men, and put Him to death. So yes, God used the Jews and the Romans to accomplish His predetermined plan, and they are, they are responsible, they are guilty, but this was always God's plan. This is the will of God, that Christ would come and freely give His life, fulfilling Genesis 3.15, that He would crush the serpent's head. That they would put Him to death, but He goes on to say, but God, here it is again, raised Him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it, is, it was impossible for Him to be held in its power. It's impossible for Christ to be held in death's power. And so I say again, if you want to defeat this enemy called death, be found in Christ. And it will be impossible to hold you down. Because we are in Christ. We, we died with Him and we rose with Him. According to the will of God. For God, what? So loved the world that He gave His only Son. That whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's the plan of God. For God so loved the world. That's why Christ came. Because God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Our Savior's rescue, beloved, is all based and rooted in God's love. That's what it's based and rooted in. God's sovereignty and God's love. And then lastly, our response to His rescue. The cost of His rescue, the result of His rescue, the plan of His rescue, and our response to His rescue. So in other words, this point number four is application. How we apply this truth to our life. Our response to His rescue. And we can really see it in verse five to start off with. Let me read verse 4 again, then I'll read verse 5. Who gave Himself for our sins, so that He might rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. Our response to His rescue. To whom be the glory forevermore. Amen. What does that mean? We worship and adore God. We worship and adore God. To just sum it up, right? What's our Christian life to be? Enjoy God. Uh, what, I, I forgot what was it. Um, uh, yeah, glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's what that verse is saying, right? To enjoy God and glorify Him forever. We worship and adore God with our lives, right? We worship God. If you are indwelt by Christ, if you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you have Him with you. You can worship Him anytime and anywhere, individually, in your prayer closet, with your spouse, with your kids. We gather together corporately and worship Him. We worship Him in prayer. We worship Him. It says to glorify Him whether you eat or drink or whatever you do. In response to Him rescuing us, we worship Him. We adore this God. We gather together and adore Him together. We, we, we pray, we preach, we study the Scriptures, we sing, we take the Lord's Supper. We have fellowship. All of these, all of these ways is a response to Him rescuing us, right? Right? We develop such good friendships and relationships with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Why? Because He rescued us. But flip back over to Luke chapter 8. I want to look at one aspect of this. All of these things I mentioned is our response to Him rescuing us, right? We, we worship Him. But I want to look at one aspect of worshiping Him that we cannot forget. And it goes back to that main point, right? That since Christ has rescued us, He's made us a member of His rescuing team. Luke chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. So we see after Jesus had, 
had commanded these demons, this, this legion of demons, right? He freed him. I mean, this man was, was he wasn't in his right mind, right? He didn't even wear clothes. And so he, he freed him of this. He delivered him. He rescued him. And in verse 38, it says, <clears throat> it says this, But the man from whom the demons had gone out was begging him that he might accompany him. Stop right there. This man was so liberated, right? He was, he was so overtaken by the fact that Christ rescued him. Can I just go with you? Can I be with you? I want to be with you. Don't leave me. He wanted to be with Christ. And it says he was begging him that he might accompany him. Before we move on, guys, do you long to be with Christ? He rescued you. He rescued you from the penalty of sin, from a place that He Himself described, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, a place of eternal torment. He rescued you and I. Do you... Do I, do we long to be with Christ? Can I just go with you? He, we see His adoration of Jesus. Right? We see Him already adoring Him, just wanting to be with Him. But beloved, remember this. Christ accompanies us wherever we go. We don't have to ask Him and beg Him, can I, can I be with you? He is with us. He is present. He is in you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He indwells us in the presence of His Spirit. But we must still choose, right, in a practical sense, to be with Him. To carve out those times during your day only for Him. Just you and Him. Whenever that is. Whenever that fits your schedule. You and Him. That's the first thing we see. And then verse 39. Or Jesus tells Him in verse 38. But He sent Him away. Why did He send Him away? We see it here. But He sent Him away saying, Return to your house and describe what great things God has done for you. So he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. We see this man who was rescued by Christ and Christ said, no, you can't come with me. Go and testify what God has done for you. And that's what this man did. That's exactly what he did. Go and testify so he did it. He was rescued and now he desired to be a rescuer. What does it say? He went away proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. We see our commission from God right there. Our response to being rescued by Christ. And that's what this picture is. Of just an individual being delivered from demons, death, and hell. And now, because of the grace of God, he's going out and proclaiming. He's not a theologian at this time. He just knows that I was rescued. This is what Christ has done for me. This is our response. Beloved, everyone, remember this. Everyone sitting in here and everyone that you see outside these doors, everyone in your family, everyone at your workplace, everyone, every stranger, Everyone has been rescued or needs to be rescued. One of those two categories. We must imitate Christ by being a rescuer, right? In other words, obviously we don't rescue in the sense that we pay for sin, but we are used by Him just like this man is. We are His means, in other words, to rescue those who are perishing. They're perishing all around us. 
They're perishing, not just a physical death, but an eternal death. And He has rescued us so that we can be His His mouthpiece, His legs, His feet, and go and search for the lost and tell them to come in. Come to the, the feast is coming. Come to the King. He invites you. And it says, remember in the text, Christ gave Himself willingly. We must do the same. We must not have to have our arm twisted to testify what Christ has done for us. Christ laid down His life to rescue His enemies. And beloved, many of the people that Christ sends us to to deliver the message are not going to like it. We must be willing to do the same thing in love, in grace. In other words, we must be willing to lay down our life, to do it willingly, to lay down our life, to lay down our pride, to lay down our fear of man, and take up our cross and be willing to give up our lives for Christ so that He can rescue others. We must be willing to tell people a message by and large, that they don't want to hear. But that by God's grace, when He opens the heart and opens the mind, then it becomes the greatest message they ever heard. Spurgeon says this, If you really long to save men's souls, you must tell them a great deal of disagreeable truths of God. Meaning they're not always going to agree with you. But we trust in what? The power of the Holy Spirit to convert, to convict. That's why it's so important. As we were discussing earlier, it's so important in evangelism to use the law of God and allow the Holy Spirit to convict of sin. When a person realizes how sinful they are, how sick they are, right? Metaphorically, when a person realizes how sick they are, and then you tell them, I got a cure. Then all of a sudden their ears perk up. We have to be willing to go to the Scriptures and show a person what God says about our sin, what God says about their sin. And do it in love. But we must tell them. Beloved, there is a world of sinners all around us who are perishing. Right now. As we speak, 150,000 a day, 54 million a year. And according to the scriptures, mostly headed to the judgment, eternal judgment. Not right with God. Beloved, will you imitate me as I seek to, right? in a very inconsistent way, but as I seek to imitate Christ in this area, that's what He's called us to do. To go out and rescue. If Christ has saved you, number one, you know the Gospel. You have to know enough of the Gospel to be saved. You know the Gospel and you have a testimony. And that's what people need to hear. They need to hear the Gospel. But share your testimony. Share your testimony as God has set you free. How He has rescued you. May this church, may our church, never leave our first love. Because we need to always, I think of the church at Ephesus in the book of Revelation. Man, they had all their T's crossed, all their I's dotted. Very doctrinally sound church, which is important. We always need to strive for that. So don't mishear me, but we must never lose our first love and remember how Christ rescued us. That's our commission. To go to other blind, dead sinners and tell them about Christ. And so may our love for, for doctrine never cause our love for Christ to die. And right, hear me right. Didn't say we don't love doctrine. We must love doctrine. That's the doctrine is truth. 
But we must not let our heads swell and our hearts grow cold. Proverbs 24.11 says, Deliver those or rescue those who are being taken away to death and those who are staggering to slaughter. And that verse is used often and appropriately, right? To go to, go to the place where men and women are, are murdering their unborn children and to plead with, right? To stand in the gap for those unborn children and plead with them not to, not to take the life of their child. But that verse could be applied to many areas where, where, where people are being led away to slaughter. Child sex trafficking is a pandemic. That if God gave you the ability to speak to that, to try to rescue those children who are being led away to slaughter. But these truths always apply to sinners perishing being led away to the eternal slaughter. There's no slaughter like the eternal slaughter. And we have the answer. Do you hear me? We have the answer, beloved. And so, we must never lose sight. We must never lose our adoration of Christ, right? The One who has rescued us from the consequences of sin. That's how we apply that text. He rescued us, and now He sends us out so that He can rescue others. Let's pray. Father, we thank You. Thank You for rescuing us. Father, thank You for Choosing in your great grace and your love to rescue us. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for saving us fully and completely to the uttermost, not partially. Father, I pray that you would not allow our hearts to grow cold. Father, out of apathy of uh, getting sometimes too busy to think about those around us who are perishing, sometimes fearful of being rejected. There's all kinds of reasons, but they're excuses in Your eyes, Lord. And please forgive us and help us, Lord. Give us... Give us love, Lord. Give us more love for our neighbor. We need more love for our neighbor, Lord. Please help us. Please give that to us. Father, thank You once again, God, for the cross. Thank You for these dear people. Thank You for rescuing us from our sins. Lord, we just love You, Father. Praise You, Lord. I pray that You will help us, Lord. God, that Your Holy Spirit would implant this Word in our hearts and minds this week, God, as we have opportunities, Lord, to remember that we were rescued. Somebody told us in some way. And so, Lord, we just desire for You to help us. We know You're with us. You'll never leave us nor forsake us, Father. Father, may we be found faithful to You. In Christ's name, Amen.